Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Guma. Tackling your stock-related questions this evening are Rikus Riedis from PSG Wealth Reimsich and Jean-Pierre Fester from Protea Capital Management. Don't forget to send those questions via SMS to 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at BusinessDayTV using the hashtag Stockwatch. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining us. Let's start off with OPEC. Um, I don't know if I'm right, but I looked at the, 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 the oil price earlier on and it didn't quite jump as much as I had expected. I haven't really ch uh, checked um, and updated myself on how, how it's doing. Uh, Jean-Pierre, have you looked at it? Uh, is it doing what OPEC hoped that its decision would do? Donati, I just checked. It's $94.01 for a barrel of Brent. So uh, no, not a huge move, as yeah. we said. And uh, it does seem like the market thinks that perhaps not all the OPEC members will will stick with a with a decrease in production. You know that sometimes happens, especially when oil is at a high price. Yeah. What the producers say is yes, of course we'll cut the production, but then uh, <laughs> they try to sell barrels uh, maybe by the back door and still take advantage of the high price. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, you have the U.S. the last few months that have released barrels from their strategic reserve. That has in some way perhaps also capped the upside of oil, but it can only be for so long because oil is a non-renewable resource. Once you use it, it's gone. And uh, therefore, I'm still actually quite bullish the oil price, especially given what uh, OPEC has done in the last week. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing, uh, Rikus, because as much as they're saying that they're cutting output by 2 million barrels per day, most of those OPEC members were not reaching their quotas anyway. So, um, no, and, no. yeah, and an interesting line that they said was that it's, it's not political, it's, it's technical. And I'm wondering sure. what this is then. What kind of message are they trying to send? Well, first of all, you're quite right on production. In August, they were about 2.1 million barrels below production. You could actually see this is an increase of about a, you know, a 0.1 increase. So, yeah, they, they weren't achieving their um, production levels in the first case. So, so the scut is not really going to um, affect supply in the short term. In fact, there's some <clears throat> extra barrels coming through from Libya and Venezuela, which is also just short term, and they're going to fall back pretty soon. So it's not as if we're awash in oil at the moment. Um, so yes, this is political. I can go on for an hour about that, but it's basically a, um, a three-part, shall we say, a struggle between Iran, Saudi, and the US, and on the periphery, China. Um, it's sending messages. And you saw the US response. They are basically, I think three members have just, in the Senate, have just proposed the bill to reduce the um, military sort of protection that the U.S. is offering um, the Saudis. So that's the warning side from there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, as I said, it's it's a whole political turmoil at the moment. So this is... Um, this is not a production issue. It's a, it's a politics issue. Yeah, and talking about politics and Biden, of course, the midterm elections uh, in the U.S. are about a month away and OPEC has completely ignored Biden's pleas um, to prop up production. Uh, what options does Biden have and can it have a, a significant impact on the inflation picture in the U.S.? Um, uh, Jean-Pierre? Sure. I don't know. Look, he's already uh, tried with the Build Back Better bill to support renewable energy. So, you know, one way, if, if, you, if you've drawn down your strategic reserves and 
OPEC isn't coming to the party, and you can see the barrels aren't going to increase, and you have no strategic reserves to release, the option is then to try and influence demand, so to decrease demand. And the only way you can try to do that is to stimulate alternative sources of energy, like green energy, mm. with tax cuts. But uh, it takes a long time. You can't just switch off uh, a lot of um, oil-intensive sources of energy and, and start uh, using renewable sources. It's going to take quite a while. Uh, and therefore, I don't think it's going to be in time for the elections. And, uh, and he's, he and the Democrats are therefore going to be under pressure because a lot of people are going to see the price of gas, as they call it, petrol in the U.S. going up at the pump. And they are going to think it's the current politicians whose fault that is. Mm. And you might see that uh, in the election. So there is a, a high political, uh, high stakes political game being played. That's for sure. Um, I see the Sasso, uh, the 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 Sasso, uh, bulls <laughs> aren't out in full force today as well. Uh, we've seen that share price ending off the day just up over a third of a percent. And I'm wondering if just that sentiment is filtering through to the um, Sasso uh, share price that this cut will not have much of an impact and that we're not really going to go above that kind of $93, dollars barrel level. Rickers. Okay, I can, I can talk about two hours for this, but let's start with America, <laughs> first of all. Um, America doesn't need Saudi oil, first of all. They're agnostic as to where they get their oil from. They are essentially self-sufficient. Barack Obama signed a bill um, when he was at the lead of things that, you know, at the stroke of a, of a pen, Americans can stop all exports of refined product to the rest of the world. America has got a bit of a problem in that their refineries aren't used to deal with um, oil from other sources like Venezuela, yeah. for example. But essentially, they don't have an energy crisis. The rest of the world has an energy crisis. And um, if you're taking a look at what's happening with natural gas, um, that price is set by the last marginal producer at the moment. And we all know that Europe has got a huge problem with gas. Yeah. And that has knock-on effects. We've seen what's happened with the price of coal. And obviously, it's going to happen with the price of oil as well. So in that sense, Sassel is pretty well positioned. They obviously have operations in Europe where they, where they do gas to, um, to um, liquids. But as a, um, first of all, as a rather unique producer, as, as far as their technology is concerned, um, um, I don't think the cut is affecting them at all. And looking at the big bigger picture, as far as energy supply worldwide is concerned, um, everybody's got a problem with the exception of America. Mm. Uh, Jean-Pierre, you mentioned earlier that you're still bullish on oil. Would that translate to Sassol? Absolutely. Uh, I also like the fact that even though they have hedges in place, what they've done is instead of uh, uh, doing short futures effectively, they rather uh, uh, bought calls, which means that um, if the oil price continues to go up, uh, they will cap the, um, or, or rather they bought puts on the downside. So it means that the upside is relatively unlimited, or at least not as limited as it was before, yeah. which means that they could benefit more than what they would a year ago from a high, higher oil price. Plus, we've had the RAND relatively weak as well. I mean, it was above 18 for for most of the last two weeks, it's a little bit below, but we might be heading back above 18. So I do think that Sassol is sitting pretty at the moment, uh, given their current exposure. They, their coal is a bit expensive, yeah. but they're not selling it in any case. It's, it's internal to them. They own a lot of coal mines, and that's the feedstock for a lot of the oil that they produce um, 
in Mpumalanga, but still they're well placed. Yeah, uh, something that is not sitting pretty right now seems to be Twingela. Uh, we've had two questions coming in for Twingela. Uh, why is Twingela down? Uh, is it profit taking or because of the strike at Transnet? Where is the coal price at the moment? Should we be buying at these levels? Uh, Rikas? That's a question. Well, I think the um, price-wise, obviously, they've just had their dividend. Um, the, um, they're okay with the strike for the next seven days. Um, if it goes on longer, their production levels will be affected. So I think it's a bit of profit-taking, obviously, with the dividend. Um, bad news on the, I won't say the production front, but at least getting stuff to the harbour where they don't really have that much of a problem. It's had a heck of a run. So... Um, longer term, it depends on what the gold price is going to do. Now, um, <clears throat> as JP said, it's you know, coal has gone up a lot. Mm -hmm. But as I've also said when we were talking about the sort of general energy market, um, just taking a look at China um, and the amount of coal that they use, will probably use if they've got any kind of small recovery, you know, a little bit of a relaxation of the COVID problem. There's not enough coal going around. There's not enough energy going around. So mm. um, in the short term, you're going to see price volatility. But I think for the next six, nine months, there's no easy solution as to where the world is going to get its fuel from, whether it's oil, whether it's gas, whether it's coal. Yeah. Um, so also another question on Tungela, considering the transport problems, what is the panel's view on the future of Tungela? Jampi, I don't think it's necessarily about their future. Sure, they're saying that if this carries on for about two weeks, then they'll have to cut output, but it, it won't necessarily have uh, much of a dent on their bottom line, will it? No, correct. As long as it isn't too extended, it won't have such a big impact on the bottom line. If you look at the export price of Richards Bay Coal, it has slipped in the last two days from about $300 per ton to about 285 earlier today where I had a look. So I must just keep your eye on that. It is very volatile. And longer term, I, th I think there's still a big question mark uh, for how long these coal prices will be this high. Uh, there are two main thought, uh, schools of thought. Yeah. The one is that we've just uninvested in coal for so long, it's a long-term supply problem. And the other one is that there's a rush from Europe especially Poland, to import coal. And once that rush is over, which should be done just before the European winter in, say, two months' time, you could see some of the coal price coming down because the rush is over. And uh, at least the good news is if you look at the Tungela share price, you have a margin of safety for a more bearish outcome. You know, if something is trading at less than a two times PE, uh, it does mean that even if things happen that are slightly more negative than what you expect, uh, your price compensates for that. So... For the next few months, Tungela looks good, and then it becomes more and more difficult to forecast the coal price, and therefore the Tungela expectations if you go further to beyond the next European winter. All right. Uh, there's a question here. Um, can the panel um, explain the old mutual BE scheme and the sweetener that they have added? Um, so we've had that sweetener where now they're saying that for every 10 rand uh, you invest, they'll, they'll match it because... Their share price is trading um, under nine rand seventy. Um, who's looking closely at that? <laughs> I think neither of okay. us. But yes, I think it's typical of these um, of these funded BE deals, where the share price is very important because there's a, there's some debt still in the structure, and you need the share price to be uh, to be relatively high and going up 
to help the participants to cover the debt. So with the share price of Old Mutual having been under pressure since they announced the BE deal and invited people to apply to where we are now, they were forced to, I think Rikas called it earlier, a, a happy hour deal, where if you buy one Old Mutual share, you get one free because the share price has come down. So it just shows again that um, there's always a little bit more risk when these deals are based on a share price. You have some debt and the share price going up must cover a part of the debt. Uh, before we go into break, Rikas, do you want to be an old mutual? Um, no. Um, you know, it's it's for a very long time now. It's been, shall we say, fundamentally undervalued, but so are a lot of other things. I can't see, um, unless management really changes direction, um, old mutual as a company all of a sudden setting the world light. So, um it's possibly a good deal if you get something at half price, but mm -hmm. you know the more fundamental question is: Do I want to be an old mutual? And and from my perspective as a non-BE participant, no, I don't want to be an old mutual. Just quickly, we have like ten seconds. JP, old mutual, yes or no? Also, no. Trading at very uh, low valuations, very cheap. But if you look over the next seven, eight, nine years, I don't see necessarily a big increase in the share price, and that is what you want. Um. We have had some news coming out of the UK that um, Fitch has downgraded the UK government's debt outlook from stable to negative, and this was a similar move that was implemented by SNP on Friday. And um, there was actually an article on Bloomberg saying that um, um, uninvestable UK has lost uh, 300 billion pounds in the first month that Liz Truss has been uh, in power. JP, starting with you, uh, what's your sentiment on the UK right now? Do you think that the reaction is maybe a little bit, uh, it's an overreaction and that you can still get opportunities there or do you think it's uninvestable? There are definitely opportunities there, and uh, I'll, uh, I'll speak a bit more about an opportunity when I do my stock pick at the end of the okay. show. But basically, yes, the politicians have, have messed up a bit. They've, they've given a signal. They've said that um, they're going to cut the income of the government. They're going to increase the expenditure of the government. They're going to borrow a lot to fund that e expenditure, and therefore they're going to issue a lot of bonds. Now, if the market knows that a government, a sovereign, as we call it, mm. is going to issue a lot of bonds in their currency, then the simple thing to do is you sell it today and you wait till they come to the market and you'll probably buy it back at a lower price. So the whole market was selling pounds, selling gilts, which is pound bonds. Yeah. And uh, on the expectation that there's going to be a lot more gilts coming to the market, there's going to be a lot more pounds effectively in circulation because of that. And because they signaled it, it means that everyone knew that they should sell the pound and sell UK assets. But there are opportunities. Yeah. And I'll speak about one a little bit later. All right. Talking about opportunities, would you uh, go for the property market in terms of exposure to the UK? Because yesterday I spoke to the CEO of Equitas and um, I was asking him how he's navigating the, the environment over there. And he said, with calm. Of course, we also had him saying that um, the valuations, the, the property valuations are under pressure. You're looking at so many challenges, including the fact that I uh, was at Goldman Sachs, Citibank, um, saying that in August that inflation is expected, well, they expect inflation to peak uh, to 18% early in 2023. Would you be looking at property in the UK right now, Rikas? 
Well, um, I'm not a property expert, but but let's start a little bit broader. Our crisis at the moment as far as, well, specifically the US, but I think one can take it globally, is not a demand-supply crisis, it's a financial crisis. In other words, people have been using the wrong discount rate to, um, to figure out forward earnings and um, not the wrong one, or they have to adjust it because of what is happening with um, with with inflation worldwide. So if you go then into a property company or a property type of investment that gives you a fairly good income stream going forward, all of a sudden you've got to think about your discount rate. You've got to make that thinking uh, you know, adjusted from what have been for the past 20, 30 years been, been pretty, you know, uh, um, docile. You all of a sudden, you're sitting with 40-year-old asset managers that have never seen double-figure inflation. Um, so I would, in this kind of market, be very worried about what discount rate I use to go and value a property company where my return horizon is you know uh, is certainly longer than five or in six years obviously things can get incredibly cheap where it discounts too much but it's so volatile that i'm um that i'm not sure where that buying point is ah all right uh, there's a question here uh, could one of the learned uh, talking heads please explain the richmond option uh jean-pierre pick you <laughs> sure okay i'll try and remember the details um, so you said it's a Richmond option, but when an option is issued by the company itself, it's called a warrant mm -hmm. uh, rather than a third party issuing the option. So it's a Richmond warrant. It's listed both in South Africa and in Switzerland. Uh, it has a strike price, which is linked to the Richmond share in Swiss francs. And that strike price is 67 Swiss francs. Mm -hmm. Now, at the moment, Richmond is trading uh, quite a bit higher than that. I think at around 99 Swiss francs. So it does mean it is in the money at the moment. Uh, the one figure I can't remember is how many of these options do you need to then exercise it and get one Richmond share at 67 Swiss francs? Uh, it is not just one. It's a number of these, uh, of these warrants. And what it effectively means is if the Richmond share a year from now, expiry is in November 2023, is higher than 67 Swiss francs, the difference between the strike price of 67 and whatever the price is of Richmond, that is the, the warrant being in the money. You then just need to divide by how many warrants do you need to get one Richmond share. That is your intrinsic value of this warrant in Swiss francs. And then you can look at the Swiss franc rand exchange rate to work out what that is in rands. And then you need to divide by 10 because in South Africa, we don't have Richmond shares listed. You have depository mm -hmm. receipts, which is actually a tenth of a Richmond share. So it's a bit complicated, but uh, it looks to be in the money. You can hold on to it and you can exercise it roughly a year from now in November 2023. I hope the viewer had a scientific calculator while you were explaining that, JP. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a question here. Uh, what local and offshore index can one invest in to take advantage of the market dip, Rickus. Well, um, it depends on what your risk profile is. If I could give yeah. you the easy, the easy answer, but the question is, when do you do it? Um, you know, is this the dip? Do you, do you necessarily want to buy the dip? Um, 
which I am not quite sure whether we are there yet. To, to me, it's as if we're, you know, at the point where a lot of investors are realizing we're in a bear market and that's sort of midway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then they start selling and then, and then you hit the bottom. Although I could be wrong. But um, as far as a index is concerned, maybe, um, you know, you can go and just buy, for example, the Euro stocks 50 if you, if you believe in Europe or mm. via these subjects 40 if you, if you want to follow the Orsha index. But um, we can get made a little bit more complicated. And I've always liked companies that are growing their dividends. And there's something called the dividend um, aristocrat type of measure. In other words, companies have, that have grown their dividends consistently for the past five years. Mm. There's a local one listed. Don't like that a heck of a lot because there's quite a lot of resource shares in that. Yeah. And then there's a couple of global ones, which 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 will always be my, my yeah. go-to. And then a specific country that I like is India. All right. Uh, JP, um, what would your picks be, local and offshore? Um, and do you go for a more diversified index? Or I know, for example, um, just on the opposite direction, uh, the tech um, indexes have been quite popular. Hmm. So I don't invest in ETFs. I like to pick individual shares. I like to, when I look at ETFs, look through the ETF to see what are the weights of the shares within the ETF. And that gives me a good idea. Then I look at those companies if I think they're cheap and expensive. And quite often, some of them are cheap and some of them are, in my opinion, expensive. So then instead of buying the ETF, I would just buy those shares I think are cheap and not buy the ones I think are expensive but are in the ETF. Yeah. So that is my preference. Um, I'm going to interpret the question slightly differently, though. If you say which ETF can you buy to take advantage of the dip, there is... Uh, some inverse ETFs, which means that you buy the ETF and if the market goes down, the ETF goes up. Okay. And there's a ProShares ultra short ETF. The only problem is you need to time it correctly because it goes up if the market goes down, but if the market doesn't go down, you lose money through the time value of money, through a decay in that index. So it's not for long-term investors, but if you want to speculate on the short term, which I actually would not recommend, <laughs> mm -hmm. you could buy an ultra shares inverse ETF and take advantage of the day. All right. Let me stick with you, JP, because uh, someone has sent a question specifically for you. A few months ago, JP described the RB Platt battle as a juicy bone, which Implats and Northern are fighting for over fiercely. The deadline for the Implats offer is extended time and time again. What does JP see as the most likely outcome of this battle? Sure, the most likely outcome. Mm -hmm. um, I think because both uh, uh, Northern Platinum and Impala are roughly at 40% and the PIC are in the middle, uh, the PIC are the kingmaker, but you can't force someone who has 40% to sell their shares. So I think what is most probable is that Implats and Northern will need to sit around the table and decide what they want to do. Um, it could mean a sale of the one to the other. It would probably be a sale of Northern to Implats, or it could be a share deal. I mean, Northern was very clever in getting the Royal Buffer King Nation, uh, the holdings company, to swap their shares in RBP for Northern. So who's to say that uh, the same can't happen and Northern can swap their RBP shares for Implat shares? Mm. That could happen as well. So I do think it's a high-stakes game of poker be being played between Implats and Northern. And uh, those are the two outcomes I think are most probable, but we might be surprised. Yeah. Um, there's a question on banks. 
Please ask if uh, the panel is still positive on banks and at these low prices, is it a buy? Uh, Rikas, is there anyone not positive on banks right now? That's what bothers me. There's a lot of people thinking the same. <laughs> what bothers me is anybody thinking. Yeah. Historically, banks do well at the start of an interest rate cycle, um, you know, of an upper interest rate cycle hike thing. And, uh, and we're certainly not near the end of that, I don't think. So in that sense, um, yeah, they do offer value specifically if some of their provisions are being written back and gets returned to shelters in the form of dividends. So, um, yeah, I'm sort of neutral to mildly positive on those, if, okay. if I can leave it. Certainly, there are worse places to be, I think. All right. Um, let's get to your stock picks. Jean-Pierre, something that you are not mildly positive on, but extremely positive on. <laughs> and you mentioned the UK earlier, so go for it. Correct. So given what has happened in the UK, what I've been looking for the last two weeks or so is shares listed in the UK, but they make their money somewhere else. And uh, I found uh, another opportunity there called Ferguson. It is an HVAC company. HVAC stands for heating, ventilation, air conditioning and cooling. So um, they do everything in terms of keeping places warm, keeping places cold, doing piping, doing plumbing and roughly half their business is in terms of new houses and buildings being built and the other half is refurbishment and they make almost all their money in the us even though the primary listing of the shares are in the uk so you can buy the shares in london uh, they are also they also now do have a secondary listing in new york but i like the shares listed in london i think because they are denominated in pounds they've been under pressure but because most of the profits are made in the us um, it's a it's a good company. It came out with great results just last week. So I quite like Ferguson at the current price. Ah, all right. And with the heat that we are experiencing right now in Joburg, we have been living off HVAC. Uh, Rickus, from your side, what's your stock pick? Um, educational company out for tech. I think it's um, fairly safe again in this environment. They've they had a bit of a hiccup at the early 2000s. They've they've managed through that. Been consistent earnings growers. Um, um, since then, um, good set of results in the past, uh, you know, last, last report, trading at about a historic price settings of 13. Their American, ah, uh, sorry, their African venture in Kenya seems to be doing very well. And just as a narrative, um, I think as long as they manage their, um, you know, the payments from students, okay. It's a almost captive market. It's one of those things that people will tend to let go of the last is the ed education for their children. And also the product that they offer when measured against what one gets at um, both your tertiary and also primary state institutions is probably getting better over time. So it's a safe play. The uh, price itself has been pretty flat over the past six, 12 months, which is not bad if you, if you take a look at, at, at um, the market itself. So in that sense, um, price-wise, those things that tend to outperform, specifically in bad times, tend to outperform 
when things turn. Mm. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time and uh, that analysis today. Thanks to my guests, Rickus Riedis from PSG Wealth and Ramesach and Jean-Pierre Fastad from Protea Capital Management. Do join me again tomorrow for the Friday edition of Stockwatch. The show now airs live at 1 p.m., but do send questions just before that. Have a good evening.